We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. So today's story of the week is about that good old coronavirus bill. You get your stimulus check yet? Maybe not. Maybe you have. That's been the topic of discussion all throughout America this week is those stimulus checks in this coronavirus bill. But if some of you that maybe really pay attention to politics know, the coronavirus bill is 90% nothing about coronavirus, just a bunch of other random stuff, which we're not going to get into. But there's one thing that I do want to discuss that was in this coronavirus bill, which is super major news for me, at least. But in this coronavirus bill, it started a 180-day countdown for UFO disclosures. And like I said, this isn't from, this is actual in the coronavirus bill. If you want to go find it, it's in there. Or you can just search this from actual legit news sources. So basically, like I said, this coronavirus bill was 6,000 pages. So there's a little bot that doesn't get talked about. But at this part, the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is chaired by Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, basically... The, the goal is to submit a report within 180 days of the enactment of this act to the Congressional Intelligence and Armed Services Committee of Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And basically, this report must address, and this is, quote, observe airborne objects that have not been ident- un- identified and should include a detailed analysis of unidentified phenomenon data, such as geospatial intelligence, signal intelligence, human intelligence, and signal intelligence. And this must be a detailed analysis of the FBI and their investigations into the United States airspace. So like I said, the word aliens isn't actually in here, but it is kind of interesting that in this coronavirus bill, which like I said, nobody really knows about, but in this bill, it gives the FBI and the United States 180 days to where they have to disclose everything they know about UFOs. And like I said, UFOs, like I said, I'm, I'm fair. I try to be true. UFOs does not mean aliens. It does to me. But in this term, it just means objects that have not been identified. So, but that is exciting. The fact that that's even in this bill. So, like I said, hopefully I'm still, I would plan on still doing this podcast in 180 days. That's about June. June-ish, maybe late May, June-ish when this has happened. So that's something really exciting to look for. And like I said, we're not being real, we're being realistic. We're probably not going to see any reports in there that they met aliens or have seen aliens. But I think what we're going to get out of this report is some very interesting UFO sightings. Because right now, like I said, the UFO sighting pictures we get are like super blurry, super shaky, stuff you can't see or understand. I think coming out of this, you're going to see some pictures that, like I said, I don't think you're going to necessarily see a flying saucer or aliens sticking their head out the window. But I think we're going to get some things. You're going to look at this picture and go, OK, this is something. I don't know what it is, but it is something. And like I said, this is just the beginning. I've been saying this every single week. I've been doing this show since June. I've been telling you they're going to give you more information little by little by little. And now here we are, 180 days, well, probably like 170-something now, days away 
from the government being forced to say what they know about UFOs. Like I said, they won't tell you everything, but they got it. They're going to have to tell you something. And that is just the beginning of getting more and more information. So while most of you just keep saying that I'm this crazy UFO nut, I keep telling you stuff. And not that I wouldn't say it's coming true, but I mean, it kind of is. We'll see. Except we'll see in 180 days what this says. But every week I give you updates and I keep telling you information here, information here, information here. And guess what keeps happening? We keep getting a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. So keep doubting your boy. But to the time is coming eventually. So like I said, just keep listening. Like I said, you don't have to believe me, but just keep listening anyway. And eventually somebody's going to be right. You're going to be right. I'm going to be right. Somebody's going to be right. But we are getting some really interesting information here in the summer. So definitely stay tuned to that. If you ask somebody to list the top five things that they're scared of, obviously you're going to get a wide range of a bunch of different stuff. But a lot of people are going to give you either heights or airplanes. And for most of us that aren't scared of airplanes, you still get that weird feeling when you first take off the air, when you first land, or when you're in like really bad turbulence and the plane is shaking really fast. Like everybody kind of gets weird feelings. Nobody just absolutely loves flying. Well, I'm sure there are some, but most people just don't love flying. I even know people that would drive long distances just because they're so terrified of airplanes. But despite that, especially in the 21st century, 99.99% of flights go off without a hitch, get the point A to point B without a problem, and the show goes on. But, of course, there is no perfect thing in this world. And there are instances where flights have some issues, have to make an emergency landing or land really hard and results in injuries. And then you got those very, very, very few instances where a crash results in a death. And there are very few instances. But in this instance, not only did we have a crash, but not a single trace of a person or of anything of this plane was ever found. It's basically as if it completely disappeared into thin air. It was on a radar and it disappeared off the radar for about 15 minutes. And just like that, it's gone. Now, of course, there's different kind of conspiracies, different kind of explanations. And as always, there is your easiest, simplest explanation. But there are more explanations that while may be crazy, this is a very unique situation and you can't take anything off the table. And just wait until you hear what my theory is. It's now been nearly two and a half years since Malaysian Airlines flight MH370 disappeared off the face of the earth. And having spent $180 million unsuccessfully trying to find it in the southern Indian Ocean, it's now likely the search will soon be called off. All right, so Malaysia Airline Flight 370 was scheduled to fly in the early morning of March 8th, 2014. This was a flight from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia to Beijing, China. 
And for this episode, you're going to have to look at maps because I'm going to tell you exactly what happened, but it's hard to really describe it unless you're really good at geography or you're looking at a map. So if you look at a map right now, look where Malaysia is and look where China is and you'll see the route that it was supposed to take. So it was scheduled to depart at 12.35 local time and arrive at 6.30 local time. So basically about a five and a half to six hour flight. There were 227 passengers. Um, 153 of them were Chinese and 38 were Malaysian. Then you had just one or two from Iran, United States, Canada, Indonesia, Australia. The Netherlands, which just was a bunch of other random places, but there was an American on board. All 12 crew members were Malaysian, and the captain was Zahir Ahmed Syed, who was 53 years old. And then there was a 27-year-old co-pilot by the name of Farik Abdul Hamid, and he actually wasn't even a full pilot. This was his last flight before he actually fully could be a 100% pilot. Something that is interesting to note, two of the men from Iran were found to be traveling with false passports. One was 19 years old, one was 29 years old, and they were going to Europe via Beijing. But from what we know, as of now, they were, there was no kind of any kind of links to any kind of terrorist groups or anything. But we will get more into that later. So like I said, it's going to be kind of hard to follow with me if you're not looking at a map or don't really know geography that well. So I'm going to try to describe it the best that I can. So basically, Malaysia is towards the very south of Asia, and they're heading towards Beijing, China, which is very, very north of Asia. So kind of for a reference, not distance, just kind of direction, it would be basically like driving from flying from New Orleans to New York. Like I said, not distance, just that direction. So they're going northeast, basically in a straight shot towards Beijing. And originally, they once they leave the, uh, Malaysia, they're on the right direction. And eventually, at 107 is when basically they're getting ready to leave Malaysian air territory, and they're going into... Vietnam air, uh, Vietnam territory. So basically, they'll check out with the Malaysian air traffic control, and they'll check in with Vietnam saying, hey, this is MH370. We're flying through your territory. This is standard protocol. So at 119 is the last communication between the plane and the Malaysian air traffic control. And we know that the final words were from the co-pilot that says, good night, Malaysian 370. And that was basically them just checking out with Malaysian air traffic control. But what was supposed to happen was right after that, they call, check in with the Vietnam air traffic control to say, hey, this is us. We're coming through. But at 121, the Civil Aviation Authority of Vietnam says that the plane failed to check in as scheduled with the air traffic control of Ho Chi Minh City. So, of course, Vietnam's like, all right, what's going on? We don't see them. So at 2.15, the Malaysian military radar said not the Malaysian air traffic control. They can't see anything. 
But the Malaysian military radars that can see everything going on over the ocean, they spot MH370 basically west of Malaysia. And like I said, this is the time where you really kind of need to look at the map of what's going on. So like I said, originally they started when they left Malaysia, they were heading northeast towards Beijing. As soon as they leave Malaysia territory, they take a left and basically they're going west in the direction basically of the United States, just for kind of a reference. Obviously, they're nowhere close, but they're heading west towards our way. And then they're heading west, but they're also going south towards Australia. So they are now going in the completely opposite direction of where they were supposed to go. And over time, like I said, these were military pings and pings that they were kind of collaborated with different countries. The last ping that we eventually get is at 8.11 a.m. And like I said, this actually wasn't disclosed until a week after the plane's interference. But basically, this is what we know now, that it was moving pretty consistently just south and west, completely opposite of where it was supposed to go. But at the time that it's flying, they weren't on any, they eventually... Like I said, they turned their they the transponder didn't break. They actually turned the transponder off, which we'll get into later. And they're heading so far west that they're out of Malaysia or Vietnam's area of being able to see what's on their radar. So, like I said, a lot of this information that I'm telling you, they didn't know at the time, like at this exact day that it happened. At the time that it happened, all they knew was from the military pings from Malaysia that they went west. So that's initially where they focused their efforts. And like I said, this was the largest recovery mission of all time. This was a joint effort from Malaysia, China, the United Kingdom, the United States, and France. So this isn't just something where they didn't put much effort or didn't look into it. They covered their tracks completely. And it was from putting their heads together Looking up military satellites together, they were able to finally, after a week, put together a path of where it went. And like I said, it diverted west originally of Malaysia, but then started going south towards Australia. And if you know any kind of geography or looking at a map, you can know that they literally went completely, completely out the way. And something that's interesting that we'll get into more later is that the... And on March 15th, the Malaysian prime minister came out and said that he thought that the plane was deliberately diverted by someone on board about an hour after takeoff. So like I said, it's not like it just took off from the start in the wrong direction. It, let, it went all the way through the Malaysia into Vietnam, the right direction. The moment it leaves Malaysia territory is when it just takes off going west and then starts going south. So, I mean, he has a point. Except he doesn't really have any proof, which we'll say we'll get into later, but there's no way a pilot that was that professional just got lost, like to go that far out of the way. Despite this gigantic effort, they found absolutely nothing, like nothing, not a body, not a piece of a plane. They found absolutely nothing over this search of a year. And it doesn't help the conspiracy theories, because the Malaysian government was acting super sketchy 
basically they released imprecise, incomplete, inaccurate information, and they kept conflicting civilian officials who would say something, and then the military or the Malaysian government would say something opposite. And we don't really know what reason this was. What uh, most people seem to say is basically the reason why they were able to find the pings, the last pings on this plane is because they were using military radars. Now, here's the thing. I mean, everybody knows that we countries spy on other countries, but you just don't admit that you spy on other countries. So here's the thing. All these countries are working together, mainly Malaysia and like the countries that are actually over there that actually have their radars and have airports over there. More than likely, they're, like I said, their military has radars basically that can hear or ping things that are not in their jurisdiction, a.k.a. technically against any kind of peace treaties or laws. So here's the thing that I say before we really get into the conspiracies, a lot of people tend to think that while countries were working together, they were hiding information because basically it would give away military strategy. Oh, yeah, we have boats in this part of the sea, this part of different kind of countries. Yeah, we can get radars and find out where airplanes are flying in these parts of countries that is not where we're supposed to have stuff. So there's a lot of information that people believe that these government has, but they can't give away because it basically would be giving away their military secrets. And to me, it makes a lot of sense, but it looks bad because to them, it's like they know more than they really know. But like I said, without going too much into it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're hiding something as far as what they know about the plane. They may actually know nothing about the plane. They just know more about its routes and where it possibly could have landed due to them having military operations going on places it wasn't supposed to. They're not simultaneous. You can know where something is going, but still not know where it crashed. But it's still a bad look. And so if you're a family and you're the military, you got a feeling the military is not giving you a lot of information. It leads to a lot of anger. So you got family members that were having crowdfunding campaigns and boycotts outside of the Capitol building, basically trying to get answers. And despite all everything, we never got any answers. And to go along with this, if you look at the path that MH370 took, the Malaysian people, when they were near them, had the final pings. But during this whole entire trip, that day, like I said, through military intelligence, we were able to figure out the route it took. But that day, when it was actually on this route, it went directly over Indonesia, and it went basically close enough to Australia to where somebody should have picked it up. Indonesia didn't pick anything up while it passed over them. Australia didn't pass anything, didn't get anything when it passed through them. And like I said, there's a lot of technical explanations for this. But it was basically, once it started going south, it basically turned invisible. Like I said, through military pings, we were eventually able to figure out where it was. But at that current moment, airports, 
it was flying basically in territories the airports work in and they weren't picking up anything. It was basically invisible. Like I said, without going too much into the conspiracy aspect of it, because we're saving that for the end, is a lot of explanations. There's just a lot of just weird things that happen. Like it's 2020. Stuff like this happens, you know, back in the day when we first had airplanes, we didn't have the technology. But there's no reason why an airplane, we're not talking about like a little small baby airplane. This was a giant airplane flying over two direct countries and it doesn't get picked up at that moment. That's where the big mystery of this comes in. On top, uh, on top of the actual motive or what actually happened, how is this plane flying invisible for seven hours? Like I said, it's, there's a difference between being able to communicate and just being on someone's radar. If you're a vehicle, if you're a gigantic plane, and you're flying in someone's airspace, they will pick up on it, even if your transponder is off. Like I said, I don't want to bore you with technological stuff, but somebody, Indonesia, Australia, one of these people should have been able to pick up the plane was flying in their territory, and they didn't. And that's basically what adds to the mystery. So a year goes by, and literally nothing, not any kind of clues, nothing closer to them figuring out what happened over a year. So we get to July 29th, 2015, and a six-foot piece of debris was found by some volunteers on the beach in St. Andre, which is basically way west of Australia on a little island. And this was a, I guess it was a flapperon, basically just a piece of the wing. It was found on the ocean and that they turn it in and they 100% confirm that this was from NMH370. And this was the first piece of anything that was found. Now, like I said, this was way west of Australia. Think, I mean, almost towards Africa, basically, like nowhere in between Australia and Africa on a little island in Reunion. So people are like, okay, well, we need to go search there. But like I said, it had been a year since the crash. So more than likely, we just assume that that's not actually where it crashed. It's just the current eventually took it over there. So they never actually looked anymore in this area, which is kind of suspicious. I mean, obviously the areas you looked in not work, so why not look where you found the piece? But they decided to not go ahead and look. Then in November of 2016, the wing flaps from the plane were found in the Indian Ocean. And something that's interesting is the wing flaps were not in landing position which means that when the plane went down, they whoever was flying it did not put it in a position to even try to land it. And because over the course of time, over 20 pieces of debris have been found by people on the African coast and in the Indian Ocean. Only two pieces have actually been confirmed to be from MH370. The rest, you probably can assume it is, but they can't conclusively say that it was from MH370. The question that everybody, obviously the families are still asking, is what actually happened? Of course, like I usually do every single episode, I'm going to start with the most logical explanation, just to get that out the way. This um, 
probably, I guess you would say, is the answer. Probably still weird. But the most logical explanation, which is what the Malaysian government is basically going with, they haven't said it directly, but basically what they're going with is, is that it was a pilot suicide. But there is no evidence to suggest that either the captain or the co-pilot had intentions of doing that. But, I mean, that doesn't really mean much. Except the Malaysian police have attempted to investigate if any passengers or crew, or crew on the plane had personal or psychological problems, but there's no real way to actually know that. But basically, either the pilot or the co-pilot was going to go down. I don't know why they couldn't just do something to themselves at home, but some people, except there's just weird people in the world, and they believe that one of the two basically took the plane down on purpose. And kind of to go, kind of to go with that, it's a totally different theory, but basically that this was a terrorist type of attack, either a hijacking terrorist attack, could be either one. It could be a personal hijacking, like a D.B. Cooper type thing, or the terrorist crashed it into the sea. No terrorist group has ever claimed responsibility for it. Um, but it's like going back to what we were talking about earlier, there were two passengers who boarded the plane with stolen passports. And as I said, they've looked into those two people and said that they weren't a part of any terrorist groups, but that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it also doesn't mean anything that they, that doesn't mean they're guilty because they have stolen passports. They could have just wanted to get away and didn't have any passports, but it is something to look into. Like I said, there are two people that came. We know how Iran is. Iran is a weird country. At least their leadership's a weird country. You got two people from Iran that board with stolen passports. We kind of got to look at them. Like I said, we're going for our most realistic options. Either someone on crew deliberately took it down, or these two people with stolen passports really did have something to do with it. And keep in mind, um, Another thing to go with the original theory is the pilot, Zahir Ahmad Sahed, basically he had no future plans. He cleared his diary or his notebook of any social or work commitments, whereas everybody else on the crew still had future flights and stuff scheduled. But basically he cleared his schedule. He didn't have any more flights. He didn't have any meetings. He cleared his complete schedule prior to this so like i said if we're going with most realistic theories you got the pilot who was suicidal and just wanted to take some people with them or there was some kind of hijacking either between the two people with a stolen passport or it could be someone else on the plane that no one is even thinking about but that's not what this podcast is for of course so as always we're going to dig in and look at some other theories that everybody else is talking about one of the more popular ones is, is that the plane was shot down by the military. And there's actually a book into this. It claims that the airline was accidentally shot down and then the search for survivors was covered up. And basically they say that um, it was a training drill between the United States and Thailand and it shut strike down the airplane and then there was a gigantic cover-up for this accident um obviously 
such a gigantic theory, and there's no kind of any kind of evidence. But you got to think this: there's no bodies, there's no nothing. And science, a lot of scientists that have recreated the event have basically said that the plane landed in the ocean and basically disintegrated. Like it hit the water so hard that it basically like turned into nothing. It didn't just crash and just break into a bunch of pieces. It disintegrated to where like there was barely nothing left. And while that is physically possible, you can hit the water that fast. It leads you to believe that, well, what else can disintegrate an airplane? Um, A bomb. Hello. So that's another reason why. And also to go with that is basically a lot of people believe that there was some kind of secret weapon, electronic warfare experiment. And um, I forget what website it was, but they say it's conceivable that Malaysian Airline Flight 370 plane is cloaked with basically high-tech electronic warfare weaponry. And, I mean, which basically goes on board with the North Korea theory, basically. Long story short, of course you blame North Korea. You're in Asia. Something goes down. They're basically saying North Korea has some crazy new thing, some kind of new theory, and that's what happened to it. Like I said, this is a completely weird situation. So who knows? I mean, any of these theories are can be true. So I'm not going to say that any is crazy, especially, like I said, when it comes to North Korea, who knows what kind of weapons they actually have. Another theory is... And they said the Malaysia police chief refused to rule this out himself is that this was an elaborate insurance scam. And basically they say someone on the flight bought a huge sum in insurance and wanted to make sure that their family gained from it. So they basically hijacked or somehow sabotaged the flight to make sure their money was given to their family. I mean, like I said, who can eliminate any of these? I'm just giving you information. And you can take with it however you want. Another wild theory is that the plane was hijacked and flown to Afghanistan where the crew and passengers were being held captive. And I don't even know where this one came from. Literally have no clue. But like I said, people are just coming up with different kinds of ones. But basically, pilots are not guilty. The plane was hijacked by unknown terrorists. We know that the name of the terrorist who gave the instructions to the pilots is Hitch. And this is from a military source. We don't know whose military source, but it was to some Russian newspaper that says they have sources that say this was hijacked and flown to Afghanistan by a man named Hitch. And that the plane is not far, except not far from Kandahar, near the border with Pakistan. Others have gone to indicate that the passengers have been divided into seven groups and are living in mud huts with almost no food. Like I said, this is an absolutely bizarre theory. Absolutely bizarre. Like you would, to get from where they were to Afghanistan, you would think at least someone said we got military in Afghanistan. Somebody would, somebody or something would notice that there's a unidentified aircraft flying but like i said in this situation anything is possible i didn't like I, said, I don't know 
who this source is. It just says a military source. So who knows? And then there's also, this is probably outside of the pilot suicide theory. The most popular theory out there also is that basically that a fire took it down. And there is some science to confirm that this is possible. Basically, it's a fire that would have been hard. It would have been big enough to basically kill everybody on board. But it was basically, but it didn't extend to the exterior of the airplane. So that's the reason why the parts that they found are not burnt. And they said, basically, this would explain why the aircraft on autopilot would fly such a long distance off course. Um, they don't really say where the fire came from, but basically it caught on fire and that killed all communication. It killed all radar. And that's why they flew so far off course is because there was a fire inside. Like I said, kind of possible. See, but they were flying for about eight hours. Um, seems like, and keep in mind, during all this, there was no distress calls. There was no emergencies. There was like everything just seemed normal for the time that they were actually communicating. So you would think that if it was a fire, before all communication went out, they would have been able to at least been able to send an emergency signal. So that's why I'm not really on board with this theory. But like I said, you have to stay open to every single theory that's out there. And there's the last two theories, which, like I said, if you're not me, you're going to completely throw to the wayside. But they are the most interesting for crazy people like me. The first one, people believe that there is an Asian Bermuda Triangle. And this was actually believed prior to this event. Like No one just created the Asian Bermuda Triangle because of this. They just believe that this was another instance of this. And I'm going to do a whole episode on the Bermuda Triangle, which so I'm not going to go into deep detail. But most people, I would assume, know what the Bermuda Triangle is. I would hope. But basically, like I said, there's here on our side of the world. There's where Amelia Earhart, if you know about her, that's where she disappeared, apparently. And a bunch of ships and a bunch of stuff disappear. And you don't really know why. So people basically say that they think that this is a Asian Bermuda Triangle on that side of the country. We do know that boats and planes have disappeared in that part. And there was really no explanation for it. And said so this was just another kind of part of a disappearance. This was just the biggest one. And like I said, it depends on what you believe in the Bermuda Triangle, what that actually means. Is it a black hole? Is it some kind of weird storm that keeps happening there? Like I said, it is interesting. Like I said, if there's a Bermuda Triangle here in the Western Hemisphere, then who's to say there's not one over there? Who knows? But lastly, there is the Paranoid with Patrick Ultimate Theory. And I'm just going to talk about this just for a second, which some people there, I think 9% of people that were interviewed believed that aliens or UFOs, something of that sort was involved. Most of you are going to roll your eyes and be like, okay, you're just being crazy, Patrick, again, which I most likely am. But who, I mean, like I said, in this situation, who knows? Like all they found was one part of a wing, 
Still nobody, still nothing. So some people believe that this was a UFO type abduction. So like I said, basically what happened, if you were to believe this theory, is that the people on board were abducted from the plane and then the plane basically crashed into the sea and that's the reason why no bodies were found. Because I would assume that if they abducted the entire airplane that there would be no pieces found. But who again, like I said, who knows? But like I said, under this random crazy theory, that's probably not true, but just under the theory that these people were abducted. And it kind of can go hand in hand with the Bermuda Triangle, or I guess the Asian Bermuda Triangle, which also could deal with aliens. Like I said, it's a completely crazy theory, but the fact that there's just no bodies and the plane just basically just disappeared in the thin air, it could help account for why that period of time, like I said, the plane itself was moving and the military did pick up on it eventually, but Indonesia and Australia did not pick it up even though it was flying in their territory. That could be an explanation for it. Like I said, not likely, but just something interesting for you to believe. Like I said, I think I went through like eight or nine different theories. There's a bunch of different things that go into this. And like I said, on a serious note, it is very sad that the families will never get any kind of answers. I mean, they do know that they're probably they're not going to see their family members again. And they all probably did pass away. But it is sad that they don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I do think it's weird. Like I said, billions of dollars were put into this. There's still independent companies checking this to this day. And how all we found was a piece of a wing. Like, it's just, it just, something just, just not right about this. Like I said, I can't really pinpoint exactly which theory it is. But I just find it hard to believe that this thing just crashed into the ocean and then just disintegrated, like evaporated. I just find that very hard to believe. And it also goes back to people believing that the Malaysian government knows what they're giving off. Knows, I'm sorry, knows more than what they're giving off. And I don't know what that's related to. It could be the UFO thing. It could be a government experiment gone wrong. But I would have to say that they, if it's not Malaysian government, like I said, the FBI was involved, different UK was involved, all these different countries got involved and nobody can give us an answer to what happened. I think somebody knows something. It may be a very, very few amount of people in a really high place, but I just believe that there are some people there's a couple people on this planet right now that knows what happened. And like I said, we're probably never, never really going to get the answers. The thing is that we here in America, we are spoiled in the grand scheme of things. While the government and military obviously hide a bunch of things from us, we actually get information more than a lot of countries do, especially on that side of the country. Whereas, like, I mean, if you listen to my episodes, the things I tell you are things that got leaked or that the Senate kind of pushed for and figured out. This is the story of the week. You got senators pushing to get 
information on UFOs to come out. Stuff like this doesn't happen in other countries. Whatever secret is going on in Malaysia or Indonesia or any of these other countries over there, those people are taking those secrets to the grave. Like this isn't the thing where a few years from now we find out what happened. The sad truth is we will never get an actual answer. Like information like this just doesn't get leaked. But someone, like I said, those few people that do know something, they're going to keep that information with them forever. So we'll just have to speculate and wonder, was this just a simple, unfortunate crash? Or is there really more to the story of MH370? And that is it for the story of Malaysian Airline Flight 370. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Maybe learn something new. Would love to hear your theories or what you think happened. Even if it's something I didn't cover. You got your own ideas. Some other things that you've seen. Please feel free to hit me up and let me know. I love learning. I definitely don't claim to know a bunch of things about conspiracy theories. I give you my opinion. But still a lot I don't know. So if you got something new or agree, disagree, whatever you want. I want to know. And of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. It's my main source of talking about this type of stuff until I can get Instagram and Facebook life together, which one day I will, I promise. I said I really appreciate all the interactions that go on. I didn't even know about the story of the week until a couple of people had sent it to me. So like I said, if you send it to me, I don't, I try to acknowledge everything I can. There are some things that I miss. But please, please, please keep up the interactions, mentioning DMs. I really appreciate it. Even said if I don't even get, sometimes I don't get to respond, but I appreciate it. It really makes me feel like our community really is growing. And I'm doing something to work with this podcast. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and press that button so you can get the episodes as soon as they drop. If you're on Apple or iTunes, appreciate it if you could leave a quick, small review. Helps me get seen, helps people know a little bit about the podcast. There's so many podcasts out there. So reviews really help people give me a chance just to see what I got going on. And as always, we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid.